All right, we'll return back to session. And I believe we were on 14.6, no, 4, 4, 14.4, ratify financial documents. Move approval. Mr. Baldini, was this the one you wanted to take something out of? Yes, but I'll do it on my vote. Is there a second? Second. Baldini moves and Rio second. All in favor? Or I'm sorry. It's electronic, isn't it? Electronic voting is open. Um, the vote was unanimous and motion carries. The exception. Which an extension? Which I'm sorry, yes. With the exception of. Trustee Baldini, who has recused himself from this vote. From check number. Yes. From check number 0300 005 Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. That moves us to 14.5. Community College Chancellor's Office Annual Financial. 2016-2017 budget report, 311 report. It looks like Mr. Parker has something to tell us. Well, I just wanted to call your attention to a couple of things. This is a fairly comprehensive report. Our quarterly 311s really only focus on the general fund unrestricted. This is all funds. It's also where we report not only results of operations for the fiscal year that just ended, but also the budget um, for the new fiscal year. It's also where we report or indicate that we are in compliance with the 50% law. And the 50% law says that you must spend at least 50% of your general fund unrestricted dollars on instructional activities. And so we are absolutely in compliance. We always have been. We're just a little over 50% right now. And I just want to remind you that instructional activity only refers to what happens in the classroom. And so counseling services are not considered instructional activity. If a faculty member has reassigned time in order to do program coordination, that is not considered instructional activity. And so it is strictly what happens in the classroom. And so we do continue to monitor this throughout the year to make sure that we remain in compliance with the 50% law. And I will say that most schools up and down the state are not much more than 50% in compliance with the 50% law. So it's not an area, it should be an area of concern that uh, we are at just a little above 50%. The other thing I want to bring your attention to is that uh, at the end of the fiscal year, we maintained a fund balance that allows us to maintain the percentages that we targeted and the uh, amount of fund balance that we have budgeted going forward for 17, 18, 18, 19, and 19, 20 in our three-year projections. What happens if we miss the 50% law? 
Well, there are. You can um, uh, petition for an exemption from the 50% law. Um, but we don't lose funds from it if we were to miss it. I mean, we're not missing it, but we could be penalized. Okay. I'm, I'm not aware of anyone being penalized recently. We could be penalized. I don't see that we would fall below 50%. We just need to make sure that we are categorizing things properly, that we are making good use because it's only our general fund unrestricted money. So to the extent that we can use categorical funds and other funding sources to pay for some of those non-instructional activities, that allows us to maintain in compliance or remain in compliance with the 50% law. Great. Okay. Do we have some? Trustee Baker. Um, I was curious on page 33, uh, it shows that there was a deficiency of revenue. Um, I don't know if that becomes over or under expenditures of uh, $1.8 million. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So first of all, we had budgeted to use. You had The board had set aside ending balance reserves to fund certain activities like increases in PERS and STRS contribution rates, a certain amount of money that was set aside for um, uh, for uh, institutional technology improvements, and so in in addition, uh, this is a snapshot in time. And so, since this report was finalized, uh, there have been some adjustments to our property tax revenue, which increased our property tax revenue over actually close to six hundred thousand dollars, and so. Overall, even though this report shows that 1.9, it was in in compliance with what you had budgeted and what we had budgeted for the year. Trustee Martinson. So two questions. So, um, so you said we were able to maintain the reserve that we planned. So is that 12% or? It's actually, if you look at the three-year projections for 17-18, it's at approximately 14 percent. If you remember from the three-year projections, we it's the same dollar amount for all three years, so it's about $5.7 million. In 17-18, that represents 14 percent. In 18-19 and 19-20, it dips to 13 percent, but that's because while the dollar amount remains the same, the general fund expenditures increase. And when we set, we, we did set, you did set, percent reserve goal as a six-year goal, and we are still tracking to be able to achieve that within the next five years. My other question, I remember a couple years back, um, there was a statistic mentioned that right now um, the community uh, is supporting the college maybe like 85%, and I found some numbers in here, and I thought it looked like now it's like 74%, and I don't know if that's like what you said with the the difference in the property taxes that at this time versus later, or can you talk about that, where I would find that statistic, or if I'm correct? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how you calculated that statistic. We do actually see more community support today than we had two or three years ago, and if you look at local revenue as opposed to state revenue, you should see, if you're comparing year to year, 
that local revenue continues to increase offset by decreases in state revenue. And that's that shift from being an apportionment district to being a community-funded district. So in this document, should I be able to calculate that? Because I thought I did, but I'm not sure if I did it correctly. Should I be able to do that with these, this you data? Sh- you should be able to do that. The one thing, you would have to look at this document from previous years to see where we were last year, the year before, and compare that to what this document shows for the current year. It's actually on page 33, the same page that Trustee Baker referenced. That's those. That was the data I used. I'm not sure if that was accurate, but where it has the totals, the actual, um, and it says uh, for state, there's the total revenue, and then uh, within that, there's the local revenue. So total revenue is 45 million, local is 33 million. So I use that to calculate 74 percent. Would that be accurate? That would certainly be accurate based on when you say 45 million. So what you're looking at is the total, including the restricted sub fund, which is fund 12. Correct. So you're saying 45 million versus um, local revenue of $33 million. The thing that changes that calculation is the fact that if you look at uh, restricted sub-fund 12, the lion's share of that money comes from state revenues. And what you see in restricted sub-fund 12 are things like our student equity money, our triple SP money, um, any uh, grant money that might come in from the state. So that restricted, we we tend to focus when we look at community, and when we talk about us being community supported, the state only looks at unrestricted subfund 12. They're not looking at restricted subfund, unrestricted subfund 11, I'm sorry, not restricted subfund 12. Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Sure. We had a motion and a second. Did we get? Did you get both of those? I did not. Okay. Yeah. I'll move, I'll, second. Move for approval. Trustee Baldini second. Iverson Baldini. I've, Iverson moved. Baldini second. I, I just have one question for those in the in the audience. Can we put a dollar sign in the total columns? I wish we could. This is a state form, and so we we don't have any control over what it looks like. Right. Yeah, they don't look at dollars. No. Very good. Yes. Iverson Baldini, and we're ready to vote. Online voting is open. That was a unanimous uh, vote. The motion carries. Thank you. All right. So we are now to the very exciting portion of this meeting, which is the district audit report. Well, it's exciting to me, So, um, but I don't get out much. So I just wanted to recognize um, 
Maria Biddenbach, who is the co-chair of the uh, Planning and Budget Committee, is here tonight. Thank you, Maria, for being here. Thank you, Maria. So uh, Joe Latunsky would love to be here because he'd rather be here than being sick at home. But so our controller is not able to join us here tonight. But we have with us tonight, representing CWDL CPAs, uh, Stephen Curry, who's in the back of the room, and John Dominguez, who will be presenting the uh, results, presenting the audit report. This is information that was presented to the Audit and Finance Committee at their meeting last Thursday. There are three reports, the district audit report and two component units of the district, and that's the District Auxiliary Services Foundation and the Viticulture and Winery Technology Foundation. And so I will ask John Dominguez to come up and share the results. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, as mentioned, we just wanted to point out a little bit of the highlights that were shared with the Audit and Finance Committee uh, we had a chance to go into detail on each one of these reports, uh, and uh, some members of that committee felt it would be helpful to come before the full board, so we're here to share that with you. Uh, feel free to stop me at any point, um, but I, I did want to um, just jump right into the district audit report um, and point out that uh, on page one, if anyone's following along, and um, this is the document, page one, is a, a good little synopsis of... Uh, the responsibilities uh, of management as it relates to these financial statements and then us uh, as auditors and our responsibility. Uh, so some good general information there. Uh, but essentially management is responsible for the preparation and presentation of the financials and we as auditors are responsible uh, for opining on the accuracy uh, of that financial information provided to us. Um, so if we look to page two, uh, we're rendering our opinion there. This is our independent auditor's report. Uh, on the financials, and so what we're issuing here is an unmodified opinion, a little different uh, terminology from several years back where we were using the unqualified term. Uh, unmodified uh, has the same connotation, which means that uh, when management gave us the financial information that comprises this report and we tested that, we confirmed it to be accurate and complete. The disclosures that were presented uh, meet all the necessary requirements. Um, so that's a positive opinion on the financial statements that we've rendered there. On page 10 of the report uh, is a good summary in the management discussion and analysis section um, that touches on uh, the economic factors uh, impacting the future. Um, and so as you uh, are aware, the you know, state budget was released and, and information that's going to impact the district. This is some forward-looking you know, looking information, some highlights of, of the state economy, and then also uh, some elements that will impact the district. And I apologize, that was on a document, page 10, so no problem. Uh, but a, a overall, a good uh, management discussion and analysis section, um, some information that summarizes all the core financial data. Uh, for the casual reader of the financials, I think they can glean some, some very useful information here. Um, on document page 12, we jump right into the core financial statements. Um, and this is uh, information on the statement of net position, so uh, assets and liabilities of the district. And we had uh, some lengthy discussions on uh, recent changes uh, past several years. As, as you may recall, we brought on the, the net pension liability uh, as a result of GASB 68. That continues to be a big topic of discussion for 
districts and governmental entities throughout the state because of its significance and its impact on the financials. Um, so you see here under our non-current liabilities that net pension liability has gone up to $36.6 million, and that's an increase of about $7 million from uh, where we were at in the prior year. Um, and again, just to further emphasize, this is information coming from uh, the CalPERS and the CalSTRS systems. So their actuaries are producing reports on an annual basis. Their auditors are producing reports on an annual basis. And we're simply taking uh, information from those reports and applying Napa Valley College's proportionate share of these various elements and reporting it here. Um, so it's, it's very significant and it's very volatile. Um, and we just continue to bring that up, uh, you know, to make readers of the financials aware um, that it's, you know, ever-changing and significant. And as we move into the notes, we'll, we'll touch on that volatility a little bit just so uh, you have some perspective there. Uh, one of the things that did come up in the meeting with the Audit and Finance Committee um, was the negative net position, as I mentioned in that meeting, is kind of a new norm as a result of these uh, GASB, GASB 68 in particular, the pension-related items. I did have a chance to look up just randomly a handful of other community college districts in the state, um, and um, I won't point out names as they're, they're not overly significant, but uh, one a comparable district in the southern part of the state had a negative net position of $93 million, a negative unrestricted net position of $95 million, and that compared to salary and benefits of $133 million. So when we looked at that, another example, um, you know, not too far away, a little smaller district, negative net position of four million, negative unrestricted of twenty-six, salaries and benefits of thirty-three. Um, so when we're comparing, as it was asked uh, in, in the audit finance committee, what are other districts looking like? I would, my response then was, I think you know, Napa Valley College is in a similar or even a you know upper tier uh, position when it comes to this uh, perspective. Um, and again, the only other relevant information that we shared in that was that um, as it comes to you know, rating agencies or borrowing, should that occur at any point in the future, uh, the, the rating agencies are factoring all of this in, and it's not negatively impacting you know, any district uh, individually. They're being compared to their peers, again, where you'd be uh, viewed you know, positively, in my opinion. So some general information there. Any questions on the core financials before I just move into some highlights on the notes to the financial statements? Okay. Um, just a few highlights on, on page 31. Um, a, a good summary on the capital asset uh, activity of the district. Um, you know, we see the land that's still held, site and improvements, buildings and improvements, furniture and equipment. Um, just some generalized information along with depreciation expense. On the following page, 32, is a summary of the long-term obligations of the district, so the GEO bonds, uh, the premium that related with those, uh, compensated absences for so the vacation accrual that would be owed to employees, um, and then the other post-employment benefits, uh, the health and welfare and other items along those lines. And then the following pages, which I won't go into, have uh, detail on each one of those so we can see the individual bonds by series as they were issued. Bonds. But some good general information on the, the large uh, GASB 35 as we would characterize these type of activities. So uh, these are items you're not typically seeing all throughout the year uh, when you're looking at you know, individual funds. Uh, these are conversion entries in our world, so they're brought on um, to bring the financials into the compliance with GASB 35 full accrual statements.
Um, on page 40, you know, we have a good summary on the uh, GASB 68 pension-related items, and we have that broken down by uh, plan type. So you see CalSTRS and CalPERS broken out, um, and then those totals would tie back to that uh, statement of net position that we started on. And you can see you know, very significant liabilities and related deferred outflows and inflows of resources. And on page 44, we see a good example of that volatility that, that I mentioned. So right now, as we saw in that previous chart, the CalPERS net pension liability uh, currently stands at $18.2 million. Um, should they miss funding estimates uh, as projected by their actuaries by 1%, we would see uh, a jump in that liability all the way from 18.2 to 27.1. Um, should they exceed that uh, earnings estimate by 1%, you can see it decreases down to 10.7. And I think this is significant just so that if we're here next year and we have you know a completely different set of numbers we're presenting to you, this is exactly why. that uh, The actuaries would say when you look at a 10-year average of the market, it's probably fairly smooth. But at any one point in time, uh, annual, you know, 12-month rolling average could be pretty volatile. And so that's what we'll see. We'll take that information as required by each of the systems, and we'll report that uh, proportionate share for the district. I was going to jump ahead to page uh, 66, which is uh, a summary of uh, the state compliance procedures that are mandated by uh, the Community College Chancellor's Office. And so as I'm sure you're aware, they issue the Contracted District Audit Manual each year, which specifies uh, really detailed procedures that we as auditors are required to perform over each of these areas. Um, so as an example, any an area, the state uh, general apportionment is a very significant one. There's probably 50 or more specific steps we have to perform. Compliance is very black and white, so anytime there's an instance of noncompliance, we're going to report that to you. Um, and we do have one uh, state compliance finding uh, that we identified this year. Um, that's displayed on page 70. <clears throat> In my opinion, not a significant finding, but, but is one, as I mentioned, we bring to your attention nonetheless. And that was simply the filing of the, the 311 that was presented to you. Uh, under uh, California laws due by October 10th to be certified of each year. Um, and... The district needed a little bit more time beyond that to ensure the accuracy and the completeness of those numbers, and so they took that additional time. Ultimately, what was provided to us was accurate and complete, uh, but did technically uh, get certified late. And so, again, compliance, very black and white. Um, we became aware of that, so we're reporting it to you. Um, and then the on the following page, 71, we did have a finding last year um, on as it was historically the concurrent enrollment, now the new terminology, dual enrollment. Um, but there was a finding in that area that was fully corrected and implemented um, by districts, so we were pleased to see that that was corrected. So those were kind of the highlights I wanted to touch on in the district report. Um, any questions on procedures, results, anything related to the district audit? Okay. I think, yeah. Oh. So, um, yes, I I think that um, outside the audit committee, if there's anybody else that needs any clarification on anything on this report, the audit committee, um, you know, does recommend it and, uh, you know, thoroughly had a good discussion, uh, 
with John and with Bob as well, but definitely if anybody has any questions, Kyle. I just had a question on the closure during the fire and where did that have any effects on it and where would they be in the report? That's that's not, uh, we're looking at year ending June 27th. Any other clarifying questions for um, have a comment? Yes. I see why the student trustee doesn't have an actual vote now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, I don't know what your preference is for the District Auxiliary Services Foundation or the Viticulture Report, but I wasn't going to go uh, page by page just simply to point out some highlights, or if you have a preference to do otherwise, I'm happy to. You just pick whichever one you want to do okay. first, and, and we're here to listen. Sure. So I'll just uh, maybe point out that in the, the District Auxiliary Services Foundation, uh, we did render an unmodified opinion on the financials. And, you know, while we're in there, it's such exciting information. We spend so much time auditing it. Let's just take a look. Um, but on, on page three of that report, we'll see that statement of financial position. Um, and so we had a chance to go through and verify um, each of the cash balances, and sorry, that's on page three of the document there. <laughs> uh, there we go. So when we're you know auditing cash and cash equivalents, we're verifying the balances that are held with the county treasury, uh, balances that are held in, in individual bank statements. You know, auditing the receivables number to see to see those figures, um, and everything was accurate and complete. Um, we did have a chance to do a detailed uh, internal control walkthrough. Um, with the, the cafe. Uh, they moved on to a new uh, accounting system. Um, we had a chance to observe their closing process to see how they're handling cash, how they're making the deposit. Uh, we felt that they had uh, a good, strong control environment, and even beyond that had room for improvement. So we did have two recommendations that we shared uh, in detail with the Audit and Finance Committee, but those were simply uh, just some minor improvements on that control environment that were implemented immediately um, by staff. So very strong, uh, I think, controls surrounding uh, all of the district entities, including uh, this foundation. So very positive results from, from that audit. And that's something we'll continue um, to do. I think they're, the cash handling, the closing, um, and the deposit process is a key one for, for those cafe operations, which are significant to, to this entity. Okay. On uh, the uh, Viticulture and Winery Technology Foundation, um, Good results again. Um, as we look at, again, on page three of this report, uh, we're on that statement of financial position. Um, we felt that the, the VWT Foundation has a, a strong financial position, uh, good asset uh, um, balances as compared to their operational needs, which is a, a positive thing. And uh, we did have one minor uh, adjustment this year, and that was to the way they were valuing their inventory. Um, that's a requirement uh under the reporting standards of this entity. And so we, we worked with them to make sure that the uh, inventory value as it is uh, analyzed for bulk sales, for wholesale wines, and for retail sales was accurate and reflective of revenue that you know is reasonable to be generated. And so they did make a, a change to that uh, inventory valuation that's reflected in the footnotes and on the subsequent page. Uh, but we think overall a, a very you know, positive uh, improvement on the way they're valuing that, um, so so a very good thing. Um, and other than that, I didn't have anything to touch on for the foundations. 
Um, but we'd be happy to answer any questions, again, on results or procedures or anything that relates to the audit and the opinions we've rendered. Is there anybody outside of the audit committee that has any clarifying questions? I do have one actual question. Mm -hmm. What is a bad debt expense? So a bad debt expense would be uh, uncollectible accounts. So if you've sold, in this case, uh, wine to a local retailer who, for whatever reason, is not going to pay, uh, you, when you write that uncollectible receivable off, it's a, an expense on, on that statement. We and had that, that same question. That was a good question. That happened in this, is that what happened here? Or? Yeah, that's not uncommon for uh, you know, district and related entity operations. So the district maintains a bad debt expense as well for its generally its student receivables that um, you know, for whatever reason remain uncollectible at a certain point in time. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Looks like we're good. Oh, wait a minute. Probably more to Mr. Parker reporting procedure on a grape sales. Would that be reported in the farm account or is that now part of viticulture? That's now a part of viticulture. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we will look for a motion to approve. So move. Second. Baldini move to approve and Iverson second. Just have a quick question. Are we approving or accepting? Uh, accepting. The motion is to accept. Accept. Uh, online voting is open. Chair, can I ask a question while the vote's going on, just about the audit? Um, as a student trustee, when when I read this next time, what should what, sh what should I be focusing on and to get out of this what, for the next student trustee? I think that that's an auditor accountant question. That's a big. I would, that'd be good for next year, for the next guy. Yeah, yeah, person, what person? Oh, wait, John's going to come to the rescue. Okay. From an auditor perspective, from a CPA, um, obviously the you know financial stability of an entity is, is of significance to us. It's something we're analyzing. So those core financial statements um, is something I would be looking at. You know, what changes are you seeing year over year um, and you'll see that in the management discussion and analysis will give you you know trends so last year this was asset balances now it's it's gone to this you know figure um, so I'm looking at you know changes year over year and then overall financial you know position in that statement of net position is a key perspective for me I just have one thing to add um, I think for me having been on the audit committee for a while is that uh, knowing that what your findings match up with, you know, what we're reporting. So that makes me feel, I think that makes me feel really good that, you know, knowing that you're, because really all the data that you pour through. Yeah. And we shared obviously in more detail in that uh, committee meeting what procedures we're performing over each of the balances. 
But uh, on that net position, for example, you know, we kind of walk through and categorize what we look at, what independent sources of information we obtain to, you know, confirm and render our opinion. So you're absolutely right. Thank you. All right. Results? Trustee Segura has not voted. What's going on? Uh, the motion carries with a unanimous vote. Okay, we go to 14.7, non-resident tuition. Do we have a motion? So move. Second? Second. Baldini make the motion, and Segura seconds. I have a question. Any discussion? Yes. just had a question. I, I'm wondering, are we required to raise the tuition to at least the state standard or the state average? And so the answer is no, we're not required to. And, in fact, we could, based on our numbers of the cost of education here at Napa Valley College, we could actually be above the state um, uh, average. Uh, it, as you can see if you look at this, the average cost per FTES um, for the district is $268, but the statewide average is $258. So we could set our non-resident tuition at $268. Um, we, we wouldn't necessarily have to increase our non-resident tuition. We have, however, historically tried to maintain consistent non-resident tuition with our neighboring colleges. And so in the past, and it's also true for this coming year, both Santa Rosa Junior College and Solano College are going with the statewide average. And so we're, we're not trying to compete with them. Um, we're also not trying to price ourselves out of the non-resident tuition market. So that's why the three of us have uh, historically uh, uh, remained at that statewide average. Um, how many non-resident students do we have? And say we were to make the non-resident tuition the same as an in-state resident tuition, how much money would we lose and is it significant? It would be significant because, first of all, and it's kind of semantics, but the state doesn't refer to what residents pay as tuition, the state refers to it as an enrollment fee. And so all uh, resident students pay a $46 per unit enrollment fee. Non-resident students pay that $46 per unit enrollment fee, and in addition to that, they pay the, uh, in this case, it would be going up to $258 per unit as a non-resident. The state mandates that we charge something in addition to the $46 per unit for non-resident um, uh, students. And the main reason for that is that residents are supporting, or at least in theory, residents are supporting the fact that tuition or enrollment fees are only $46 per unit through their property taxes, through their state income taxes, through all of those sources that provide funding for California community colleges. So the idea is if you are not a resident of the state of California, then you are not making that contribution 
uh, through property taxes or state income taxes. Therefore, you're being asked to pay that the cost of education that resident students are paying in theory through their tax dollars. Would it be fair to assume more a student would rather come to Napa if we had a lower cost than Santa Rosa or Solano? Why do we have to have similar costs to what they have? Well, it really, I think that, and now I'm getting into an area that is probably better addressed by uh, the the two VPs on the other side of, of the room, but it, 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 it's my understanding that students really make that choice based on uh, proximity and programs uh, at those institutions and not necessarily by the cost. And so if we were to be below our two neighbors, we might bring in some additional students, um, but it would not necessarily be beneficial to us in the the dollars that we would lose in non-resident tuition probably would not be offset by the additional non-resident students that we attract. One last point to that. Uh, Non-tuition costs are greater than tuition costs. If there was an additional student, they would buy more textbooks than if they went somewhere else. Could, would that possibly offset the difference and make us more money possibly? It's... That's a difficult question to answer. The, it would depend on what classes they're enrolled in, what the cost of those books are, how they get those books. Do they buy them from our local bookstore? Do they buy them through some other source? Are they buying used books or renting books versus uh, uh, actually buying books outright? Um, that would be... Uh, a, a, a difficult analysis to do, and based on the number of non-resident students that we currently have, it, it uh, probably would not be worth that analysis. As we see increases in non-resident students, it would certainly be something that we can take a look at. Chair, can I ask one last question to uh, one of the VPs? Are we, as long as we're not stretching too far off of the approval of this particular report, well, it's about how many non-resident students do we have. And, okay. Um, yes. Um, at, at, uh, at last count, uh, for the fall semester, we had approximately 168, of which approximately 20 to 25 are, are the international students that come from other parts of the world. I would like us to look into how much money would we lose. And since we save about 13%, you said, 13 to 15 in reserves that we saved that money? Um, so we're, we're required, going back to reserves, we're required, required by the state to maintain a 5% reserve. The board had set a goal, a, a minimum of a 12% reserve. We're currently at 14. We'll be at 13 next year. But the board has also established a long-term goal of a 15% reserve. In, in the future, I would like us to look into... Why does it need to be that high, for, or would we lose so much money if it's only a few, like about 100 students, roughly? Um, and since we have so much saved, if we could put that in. And I'd like to believe that if the cost is lower for them per unit, they'd rather come here. Like if we made it $100 or 50 so, they'd, so there would be $46 and then another 46 would they rather come here instead of Santa Rosa or Solano, which is all like within 30, 40 miles from each other? Okay. Um, 
And I would want to know why is it two fifty eight? Is that a economically set number, or is that just state average? To state average, but why is it set? Why is it set at that specific number? Yeah, I, I support okay. this the recommendation. It's certainly something that can be looked into, just to bring that data back and and give a comparison of what it would do based on the numbers that we're currently getting in non-resident uh, tuition. Okay. Um, we have a we have motion. a motion and a second by Segura and Baldini. Yes, and online voting is now open. Since my online voting does not work, I vote no. The motion carries with seven yes and one no. Thank you. Okay, and uh, I believe we're going to pull 14.8 uh, because we are not prepared to uh, discuss that this evening. Oh, we missed 14.7. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, that was non-resident tuition. Oh, never mind. It got reordered. Okay. Yes. Um, so we're we're going to pull that and we move to 14.9 board goals and um, and I hope everybody's had an opportunity to review these I think that they they look great they match up well with uh, with our planning with our strategic planning and uh, I would like to see a motion to approve the five Board of Trustee goals that we have listed here. So moved. Baker, motion to approve, and Iverson, second. Any discussion? I think we put a lot of time into these in our workshop. So well, this actually did a good job actually different than the ones that we came up with the workshop which I'm fine with because that was kind of rushed at the very end that we came up with I think three goals at the very end that aren't these but I, I like that these ones are tied to the um, strategic plan I like that I like that there's only a few goals that's nice um, I just was going to suggest just one minor language change um, twice we have foster a climate and I think that's appropriate for the second one. Foster Climate engages MBC students and insists in their progress. But for the fifth, I was thinking maybe uh, providing leadership to enhance collaboration between MBC and community and civic partners rather than, again, foster a climate, which is kind of vague. Um, so that was just one suggestion, just a little stronger uh, for number five, uh, providing leadership to enhance collaboration between MBC and community and civic partners. So that was one suggestion. And then Apart from that, um, I'm just wondering, you know, I think we need to model this idea of having measurable goals or having some kind of evaluation tool, a rubric, so that at the end of the year we can evaluate ourselves. And so um, 
I'm hoping that from after these are approved that perhaps there could be a subcommittee. I, I know a lot of educators, so does Trustee Baker, and we're educators. Maybe we could help develop either turn these into SMART goals or develop a rubric, some kind of evaluation tool, so at the end of two years we can actually evaluate these goals. Otherwise, they don't mean anything if we can't evaluate them. I think that at our oversight level, um, I don't think that that's where we are. What do other trustees, I mean, I, I just don't see that being us. What? Being able to measure our goals or evaluate our goals at the end of two years? It, it, would, be, it would be very difficult for us to say, you know, monitor and ensure fiscal stability of NBC as it transitions to community-supported district other than the results of, you know, we're our goal is to monitor it, mm -hmm. okay? Our goal isn't necessarily, um, help me. Right, but what does that look yes, like? It's I, not, what does that look like if we're, if we're monitoring fiscal uh, stability? And at, how do we know at the end whether or not we did that? Well, so... Yeah, some kind of like a rubric in terms of what does that look like? If we're monitoring fiscal stability NVC, what does that look like? And maybe it's something as simple as that we have our our plan, like our budget, um, where we said what the reserve should be and so forth. We have our budgetary values. But we need to know what that looks like if we're doing that at the end of two years. So I what think we, we should did, be a model for that. What we did this evening and what we do with our audit committee, okay, is our monitoring, that is our result, to be able to say we have monitored it and we know what the information is and um, not necessarily that we would have responsibility over that outcome, but that we have monitored it and that by presenting and approving, approving an audit report, that's an we example. Have met that, we have met that goal. That's example, and that's what I'm talking about for each of these. That would be an example of evidence that we've monitored, that we've accepted a, a clean audit report at the end of the year. So that would be an example. So I would like to see us uh, do that for all of these goals, actually describe what that would look like if we were doing these things that create a rubric. I, Trustee, oh, Trustee Iverson. I was just... I think it's reflective of the success of the district and how we would, you know, foster, monitor, oversee. I mean, if the district is not up to the standards, then that would be how we would be gauging it. I don't know if we need to. I just feel like we've, we've worked on these quite a bit. I'm not saying we don't accept the goals. I'm saying that then we take it one step further and do what we say the college should do, which is make them measurable or create a rubric or some kind of evaluation tool so that they're meaningful. And at the end of two years, we can actually evaluate whether or not we accomplish these goals. Trustee Baker. Um, I was going to say that I, I understand what's being said about not micromanaging, and I 100% agree, but I also agree with what Amy's saying in terms of codifying our processes and saying, okay, this is our goal, and 
the audit, what the audit committee does is an example of how we achieve that goal. So just basically writing that to it, um, I think that's a good example. Uh, and I think it could be worthwhile to have at least have that discussion at maybe in a subcommittee or something. Um, and I would also, if the board um, um, agrees, uh, be willing to modify my motion to approve um, changing the language. Who second? I second. Second. I just I think staff has already worked on these, and I, I mean I guess it's not a big change, but I I would like to see us approve them. So. So we are we have a motion uh, to approve and uh, amended fostered to leadership. Provide leadership. Provide leadership. And a second Trustee, to approve. Was Trustee Iverson, were you seconding Jennifer's amendment? I seconded her original amendment. I don't second the amended. I would. I, I think they're good, and I'd like to move forward with them. And well, I'll, ex I'll second Jennifer's motion to accept the um, goals with wait, the change to number wait, five. We, we had a... that. So then that's a new motion. No. So that's a new motion. Jennifer's. So it has to, because then that motion fails because he didn't second. There's no sec. He didn't come back and second that. No, that's not how it works. Yes. So he seconded the original motion, correct? Right. She moved to amend the motion. I'm seconding her amended motion. You yes. No, you don't. That one goes first. The amended motion gets voted on first. And if that fails, it goes back to the original motion. So, well, it's how we vote. Yes, Robert's rules. Uh, we had a parliamentary procedure training just recently. Um, to my understanding, Raph could comment as well. Um, when there's a motion on the table and then there's an amendment added, you would vote on the amendment first. And then if the amendment fails, you go back to the original motion. Exactly. So, I second right. Jennifer's so the amendment. The amendment failed. When was the. There wasn't even. I didn't hear a motion for the amendment. He moved to amend. He originally seconded, and he said no, he was not going to second it. I'd moved to amend it again, and I would second that. I missed that. Okay. So now we move. So Jennifer moves to amend. Amy seconds the amendment. Correct? Okay. Yeah, I want to be real clear because this feels like two hours of re reviewing the minutes next year. Exactly. You know, so, um, so who made real? the original motion Jennifer. to approve? Trustee Baker made the original motion. I seconded it. Okay. And then, then she, she amended her motion. Amend the motion. And I seconded it. Okay. I'll call the question on the what, amended motion. What is motion. the amended motion? It would be to accept the goals with the change of language and bill number five from foster climate to provide leadership. And my comment on that, so to. Um, open that amendment to discussion is that I think that foster a climate keeps it consistent with the rest of the goals. Uh, leadership kind of changes the, uh, I think, the direction. So... Um, I don't think there's any consistency. They're all a little different. That's the only one that's repeated. 
So two are repeated twice, that one's repeated twice, and one's different. I, I don't think that should be a factor, but to me... Uh, I don't, no. so we've already, I just think it makes more sense. So, Trustee Martinson, we've already gotten your opinion on that. So let's um, either... Any other discussion on the amendment, or we vote on the amendment? Okay. So we have a motion on the amendment from Trustee Baker, a second on the amendment for Trustee Martinson. Amended. Amended. And opened online voting for okay. the motion to amend. I vote to nine. Aye. Trustee Martinson, I don't have your vote. It didn't come up for me. Uh, How would you like to vote? Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, can, so is that the way it's going to go down, the mo motion? Because we need to capture the text of the motion. Can you see what is written, approve the new... new yeah, it says new with Martinson changes. Yes, yeah, so I can type that in later. I just, so you will change that later? Okay. We have a tie. Four to four. No, the student is an advisory. To oh, okay. vote. So the, uh, the motion fails with four no votes and three yes votes. All right, so now we vote on the original... Uh, on the original motion, on the original goals. And that was uh, moved by Baker and second by Iverson. Online voting is open. You get it automatically. I didn't see yours. I can't see yours. You can't see it anymore. <clears throat> Aye. The motion carries uh, with a unanimous vote. Thank you. All right, we move to four fourteen point one zero, and uh, it's board consideration of the presence of legal counsel at the board meeting. I have one speaker um, on this topic, and that is James Hinton. I think it's important. Well, James Hinton, 3574 Hunter Circle, Napa, California. I think it's important to have legal counsel at these meetings. A lot of you are... Very underpaid and appreciated for your service on these boards. It takes a lot of time, and um, not just to get elected and to get up there, but to actually go through these agendas and all that all the time. And it'd be nice if uh, you had access to the attorney when you need it, and so we can avoid stuff like uh, just a few minutes ago, not even sure of the Roberts Rules procedure and stuff like that. It's great. Um, it would be great to have legal counsel at all the at all the board meetings. Thank you. Okay, 
So I just want to recap a couple of things from previous discussion that we had, and um, that was that uh, Trustee Rios, when he was board chair and we had this discussion, he did a little bit of research, uh, what was necessary to figure out what it would take, and we were looking at $340 per hour and what that would include, and that was a... A lesser rate for someone who was semi-retired, lived in Napa, and um, and that would include, of course, pre-meeting cost. It's not just looking at what it would cost during our meetings and the length of our meetings. They would be reviewing agendas, preparing themselves. Um, there would be the cost during the meeting and then the cost after the meeting for any research on any topic. In my conversations with counsel, uh, one of the things that I think that I learned is that um, there would not really be much change in the way that we do business, and the reason is because an attorney is most likely not going to give a decision on the spot. They're going to say, I'll check that out. And so we're back to where we are, which is now if a subject comes up and we feel we need more information on it, we consult our counsel and uh, and come back with the answer. So so I I'm not I'm not seeing how that would ch- it would cost it would it would cost us a lot of money. And I really don't think it would give us that great of a additional benefit. May I add to that, which was one of the pieces, the second piece to that discussion. I mean, we had that discussion, and then the second piece was to determine whether um, counsel was willing to or able to provide service on kind of a trial basis um, and I think that's the part that got lost in the discussions afterwards. Uh, but just to be clear that counsel is part of our the district's attorney. That counsel you were describing, she is a member of the firm. Um, and, yes, they would provide service on a trial basis if that's what the board wanted to do. That was just the last piece of information that um, wasn't clearly reported back mm-hmm. at the time. Okay, thank you. So we'll so we'll do uh, a motion in a second, and then we can open it up to any further discussion. So I move that we have our attorney present at our board meetings on a trial basis of three months. Second. Okay. So we have a motion by Martinson to provide the presence of a legal counsel at board meetings, and a second by for three months, and a second um, by trustee by student trustee Sandu. Discussion. So, approximately, what would the cost be for those three months? Approximately, I mean a rough, rough estimate. It, it depends on what issues would come up. I mean, if you think of, I don't know what the average of our meetings are, four hours. 
um, times that times 340 an hour uh, ad, maybe an hour before for them to prep, look at the agenda. And then if we have questions, they have to go back and research it. That's, it's hard to, to say. So plus travel time. She lives in Napa. Could we clarify, would the any after-meeting research, that wouldn't be an addition because the, we already do that, correct? No. I mean, that would be additional. It's an hour. It's hourly fee. All the time spent. Is that we would pay this individual to be here for the meeting, and then if something came up, then they would be researching it after. My hope would be that even if we did not have someone here, if a question came up that required research, that we would take advantage of our attorney, regardless of whether they were here in the room during the meeting. Is that not correct? We pay our attorneys on an hourly basis. Right. So any work they do, whether they're here or it's research outside of our meetings or any type of meeting is charged on an hourly basis. Yes, but what you implied, maybe I misunderstood, but what you implied, what I heard, was that by having that individual here, that that would increase the amount of time that they would be doing research outside of the meeting. No. That is no, not what you're saying. That, okay. that, that would then be I apologize, additional. So in other words, if we're sitting in the meeting and they're sitting in the meeting, the whole time they're sitting here, right, they're running up, a, they're billing. And so that's the piece that would be in addition where right now we're paying an attorney when we need them to look up something that came up either during a meeting or outside of a meeting to help us make decisions. But we would not anticipate that by having an, that individual here that that would increase the amount of, of research that they would do outside. They would still have to do research. Well, yeah, we're paying them for the time that they're here. Plus the research. Right, if we, an issue comes up and we need legal, they're going to re- research it anyway. Right. We so, could be saving the money that they're, we're paying them sitting, sitting here. here. Mm-hmm. So the additional cost based on what Rafael just said would be the hour before for, to prepare for the meeting, the four hours during, which would be, um, let's see, so that would be $1,700 meeting potentially and then whatever you can't I see what Jennifer Baker is saying is that you can't add the stuff after because we would be doing that anyway if the issues came up whether they were here or not that's what she's trying to say right right so it's the hour before and the four hours which is $1,700 right approximately and my point is if they have to leave the meeting and do research that's not bringing us any value over what we already have so uh Hold on. Iverson. I think we've exhausted this topic. This is, we've talked That's about it. That's why we're it. bringing it I up know, today. Now it's on agenda. I don't, I think we just vote on moving forward with it or not, regardless of a trial period. Mm-hmm. So. May I make mm-hmm. one more comment? Just in t- um, I, I understand that having the attorney here that you're not necessarily going to get legal advice during the meeting. However, in my experience from having served on boards where we did have an attorney present at all times, that that wasn't always the case, that oftentimes they could offer at the very least corrections, things like that. And then you, it, there's also the potential that something would come up that they might 
see, you know what, perhaps the board would benefit from having a legal opinion on this, where we, we would might, might not even think to ask. Could we send the agenda every time to our council to review it? And if they think they need to be present at the meeting, then the chair and council can discuss it, and then they could come for that specific meeting. So going forward, every agenda is sent to them. If they think a legal question could arise from that item, then... That's a good question. I don't, I, could that be I don't another know the way answer to do that, it? but that's, a, that's potential. So just having them come every time that they... If they think they should be here. And I'm 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 thinking that you know we're spending seventeen hundred dollars approximately seventeen hundred dollars a meeting. Uh, we're here to serve the students, and I know that those attorneys that we have help us do that already. Any legal item that comes up, correct me if I'm wrong. We have attorneys to ask and to turn to. Um, at the last meeting, we had a number of students that came up and said, we need help with paying for textbooks. I mean, mm -hmm. oh, no, there's Mr. Parker. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how, what the situation it's like. You know, I would rather spend the money on the students and their education, their books, and, and uh, that's where I would rather see the money go to. Michael, I don't think I've heard from you yet. Somewhere on this value statement, it says professional development. I can see that how it loosely ties. I, I, I hesitate to spend spend the money, but I, I, I mean, we've benefited by the uh, Robert's rules. Kind of all right. Let's observe and see where we could be more effective in our duties as trustees in the in the public arena in the meeting. Uh, that might be a benefit, but just to write, say we're going to do it from here forward, I'm a little apprehensive about committing to that sort of dollar amount. Uh, we have a attorney present. I know he's not an attorney. He's shaking his head, but he's he's thoughtful and he's. Uh, I'm not the board's attorney. No, I, I realize that. <laughs> but anytime you open your mouth, you speak with the training. We've had a. a Robust yes. before today, I and I would suggest, spoken. yeah, what we we had robust take, yeah. take the I, vote. Excuse me, I haven't spoken. This is my item, so I would like to be able to have my opportunity to speak on the item, please. Is that okay? Because I haven't spoke on the item. It's my item. So can I? I wrote a statement. I would you like did. to read it. Yeah, no, I didn't. Did. I answered the, the question reg regarding the money. That was we were clarifying money amounts. I haven't been able to say why I think this is important, and I would like to have an opportunity. So if everybody else is done, I'd like to read the statement that I wrote for this item. Everybody else finished? Yes. Okay. So first of all, um, I think having an attorney present on a part-time basis for three months would allow us to actually establish the cost benefit, which Trustee Baldini spoke at at the last meeting when we talked about this. Um, we said at our board retreat that making our board more effective was a priority, and having our attorney present would make our board meetings more effective as questions would be answered in a more timely manner, and we would not spend time arguing about legal points and proving board relations. In addition, it would provide insurance for the board and college as their attorney would have a pulse on the kind of legal questions coming up in our meetings from board members and the community. 
Our attorney would know if we're going off track at times when maybe we don't even know there's an issue. And lastly, would elevate the board and give the board more legitimacy, cultivating trust with the college and community. Um, I did contact Santa Rosa JC, and they said their attorney is present at most of their board meetings. Uh, they did add that they usually don't speak at the time. Um, they addressed issues that came up after the meeting, but they are there at most of their meetings. And just some of the things that maybe could have been worded off that came at our at, at our meetings that were uh, legal issues that I think it would have been good for our attorney to have a pulse on, the OCR complaints um, and issues uh, of student accommodations and retaliation, the sale of the Menlo property, Brown Act issues, the question of videotaping our meetings and closed captioning, the question of board members posting on Facebook, the question of whether or not board members can determine the content of other board members' board reports through board policy, uh, and the president sign being on the personnel document. So those are just a few examples of items that our attorney could have intervened early uh, rather than things escalating to the point where we had to have a lot of conflict and waste a lot of time and a lot of arguing. Okay, so let's just vote. Let's just vote. I have a problem with the vote. Okay. I discovered why uh, Trustee Sandu's name isn't appearing. It's because when we opened roll call, he wasn't present. And so that's why. So at this time, I'm unable to mark him as a second, making a second of a motion. Okay. So we just need somebody else to second. Later, you know, in the office. Yeah. yeah. So I could just choose any name and then fix that. No, we need to. We need to definitely have somebody. So we've got a a first. uh, Was Baker? Uh, No, Martinson. Martinson. And so we need a second. I'll second. Baker second. Thank you. So Martinson first. Are moved and Baker second. Point of information. Um, Just because you can't get it in the system. Um, does that just get take away my ability to second now? Um, I guess so, unless, I, I like I said. To, I don't need to be here for the roll call to for closed session. There's no reason for me to actually be here. So. No, it's, it's just the, the software system. So if, if, I didn't, if it didn't capture you when, it, when we took roll call, then that's why all your subsequent votes haven't shown up. But they've all been yes and unanimous. Um, Except the one I did vote yeah, and that one I just I'm going to note it in the minutes. So this 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 is a convenience. It's not an official record. The official record comes out of my fingertips. So this is a convenience to make it really easy for me. Trustee Sandu, if you would like for your second to stand, we can do it manually. Yeah, yeah I, I would. You okay. would? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll do this vote manually then. Okay. So we have. Uh, uh, let me go back to first Martinson and a second by Trustee Sandu. All in favor? Aye. 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 Let's look at hands. And opposed. There's three. So motion fails. I had four. Sandu is the uh, advisory vote. Was that not in favor? It's an advisory vote. 
Okay. And I had three uh, no votes. So that's board no votes. And will we be recording from now on all the votes? Because that's not, didn't happen at the four, last minute. Four no votes. Was Mancuso, Iverson, Segura, and Rios. So in the minutes, the, both the yay and the nays and will be recorded. So motion fails. Do I read all four names out? Pardon me. You don't have to do that now, as long as you as long as you got them, and that's the, them that's the, the question, so yes. you feel comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the next, uh, we have appoint appointments for trustee members to district auxiliary services, and I uh, would like to appoint for consistency continuity. I would like to appoint uh, trustee Segura. Thank you very much. And this is an action item, so uh, I would like a motion. So move. Second. Baldini moves, and Iverson second. Online voting is open. And Minvir, you'll have to do yours um, verbally, correct? Aye. Really, or somehow it would just say yes automatically. I don't know how. It was just voting me yes. We just stopped doing that. Next is appointment of trustee member to the VWT board. Excuse Foundation. me, I don't have oh, I'm complete sorry. votes. I'm sorry. Uh, Baldini and um, Iverson. Oh. No, she's there. There we go. Now. Oh. All right. Slow down. <laughs> Okay, motion carries um, unanimous vote. Thank you. Okay, so appointment of trustee member to Viticulture and Winery Technology Foundation Board of Directors. Um, I'd like to appoint Trustee Baldini. Can I get a motion and a second? So moved. Second. We have, sorry, we have Rios moves, and uh, Sandu second. Okay, we're open, opening online voting. Hi. There we go. Uh, Motion carries with unanimous votes. Thank right. you very much. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And as we know, 14.13 has been pulled. And so we move to appoint trustee members to board committees. I had a lot of fun doing this, actually. Spent a lot of time with it. And kind of, you know, used my little whiteboard and moved people around and erased and thought about it. I did, you know, so so this wasn't random. I'll just tell you that. There was a, me there was a method to my madness. Real quickly, there's an error in here from the appointee. 
I I was the one that was on the next um, committee. That is an error. Mm-hmm. Can I point out another one? Uh-huh. I was appointed to the Legislative Affairs Committee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get the... I'm sorry, I did not. I can't see who's speaking. I point, was pointing out on number three um, from last year's appointees. Uh, it has um, Trustee Martinson as being the appointee to uh, the McPherson oh. Award, and it was actually... It was uh, Baker. Baker. And then Sandu needs to be added to the Legislative Affairs Committee. All right, Drumbo. Everybody's like, oh, jeez. Just get on with it, right? Yeah. I know, I know. Okay, so Legislative Affairs. I have a Mancuso, Iverson, Baker, and Sandu. Do do all of you accept? Yes. Okay. All right. So we can move on to that one. And audit and finance. I have Martinson, Rios, Segura. And uh, Martinson as chair of that committee. Oh, and I forgot to mention Mancuso as chair of legislative. So Martinson, Rio, Segura on audit and finance. Do you accept? Yes. 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 No. I would like to be added to that committee if possible. Okay. I don't see any reason not to, so that, that's a good learning experience for our student trustee. And then uh, McPherson, Trustee Baker, would you take that on again? Yes. Thank you. So that, uh, that completes the um, standing committees. And then on the ad hoc real property, we have Baldini, Uh, Rios and Iverson, I'd like to keep it Baldini, Rios and Iverson with Baldini chair. I accept. Rios and Iverson? Yes. Okay. And then um, my feeling is that I think that with the meeting management committee, ad hoc committee, we accomplished what we needed to for now. If there's any, we can always revisit that committee, bring it back to life if necessary. Any comments or anything on that? I was just going to say that some, I mean, we probably all of us have occasional ideas for things that could be improved in. We've done a lot in the last year, so I think that moving forward, unless something big came along, we could just talk to the chair, say here's an idea. Okay, now it's yours. Okay. Thank you. I just yeah, I appreciate that. I think, it, <laughs> I think it's fine to get rid of that committee, but I still finishing up with that committee would like to see the final texts of the AR since they do relate to our board meetings. I think that uh, we need to see the final language. I think we received a. Um, you sent them out to all of us for feedback, and did you get that feedback? Only from one trustee. So if there's further feedback, 
we can incorporate. So let's put a date on that. Any feedback um, for the ARs and maybe resend it again. Okay. And let's put a date of um, from the time you send it out, why don't we say 72 hours? And would you be sending all of them out again? Thank you. Okay, that concludes uh, committees. Thank you. And now we need move on to committee reports. So the ad hoc committee reports, um, I think we can just real quickly, since we just discussed it, we know that we're ending this committee meeting management, and we're going to uh, put out those final documents for everybody's input, and we can wrap that up. Okay, so then real property asset management uh, committee, anything to report? No, no, there's no meeting. Okay. And then standing committees. Uh, DAS committee, Segura, or DAS Board of Directors appointee. We met on the 12th. Um, couldn't do much with the budget because it wasn't ready yet. You you got to see it tonight. Um, we, did, we did approve the quarterly financial reports. Um, the master agreement for um, is that legal? We didn't do anything with that. Uh, Napa Silverado with the Silverado's agreement. It's uh, back to it's still at legal. We have three issues that we need to resolve, which ha have to do with expenses. And, you know who would be responsible for what. So we'll get to hear about it next board meeting. Thank you. Is that everything? That's everything. Okay. VWT uh, Foundation or Viticulture and Winery Foundation Board of Directors who would have a report on that. Okay. All right. And then Mr. Iverson, Chair of the Legislative Affairs Committee. Uh, we did finally meet. We bounced our calendar around quite a bit, but we did meet. Um, we did discuss um, where the bills that we had uh, in the past, we assigned bills and, Looked at them. We did go over um, an oil severance tax resolution proposal, but we decided at this point to hold off. And we did um, kind of agree amongst ourselves that we would forward things that we were working on to the next legislative committee, just as an idea. Are there minutes available for them from those meetings to review? Should be yes. And the resolution was uploaded as part of that meeting, so it's online. There are notes for those meetings. We don't do formal minutes for those meetings. But I do I, have notes. Where are they? Um, I haven't been instructed yet as to what to do with them, but they're prepared. They're going to well, they're going to be put online, correct? No, I mean that would be a good Carolee question. I don't know what we've done in the past if we post them, you know. But um, we'll we'll figure that out. And it sounds like if you're taking notes. And we're, and we're uploading um, items, it's simple to make those available to the public. We talked about that. We talked about the standing committees, which um, 
or not that many that they because they are public um, and uh, that we thought that they should be treated pretty much the same. We, we even discussed wondering why they're not being videotaped, for example, but for sure minutes, the public should know what yeah. came out of those meetings. Yeah. So those standing committees should, we feel, should, be, should have that same treatment. Um, okay, thank you, Trustee Iverson. Audit committee, we met. You saw the results. So um, it was great. I love it. I'm not going to be on the audit committee anymore. But I um, have enjoyed being on that committee. It's such a great for anybody that gets to be on it. The insight um, and what you learn is really, I think, very, very much worth it. Um, and then McPherson, nothing at this point, right? Okay, so that, those are the committee reports. Trustee and board chair reports. So let's start with uh, Martinson. Let's see. Um, yeah, just I attended the legislative subcommittee meeting as well as the audit committee meeting. All right. No report. Trustee Segura. No report. Okay. Trustee Iverson. No report. Trustee Sandu. No report. Other than you went to Hawaii and all that. <laughs> I can't talk about that. But I know. Wouldn't I know. Incoming I'm just, I'm ballistic just... missile was quite the way to wake up on 8 a.m. <laughs> Trustee Baldini. I do have a report. I'll make it very brief. I enjoyed Flex Day. It was at the presentation. It was fun. How was uh, how was? Uh, I, I, yes. Anyway, thank you. Just for your interesting thing. Are you? Are, is that? That's it. Yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't we have a police academy graduation? No, that was last last year. But it was it was since our last meeting. Yes, that's right. I was yes. I was unable to to enjoy that one yeah, again. If you haven't gone, they, it was just absolutely wonderful. And Director Sandoval, how he roasts quote unquote uh, or certainly introduces us to every student candidate graduate in the in the program is is just enlightening, and it's it's it, the connection there with the the families and, and why they're there and, and how they've been transformed is it's remarkable. It's a remarkable experience. And then the uh, the, the only observation I had is that the, those that haven't been been um, are, are have interviewed and are successfully graduated, they're there to be pinned by the the supporting agency. But those that haven't, they're I'd like their term to be, uh, or, or how they're referred to as, as uh, graduates, because they did graduate the program rather than as students. But uh, it, it's just a wonderful program. So when is the uh, 
when is the June graduation or the, the next graduation would be my question. Since we got the May 24th for... Oh, that, that concludes my, I'll take my uh, okay. My answer off mic there. Okay. Trustee Baker? Um, I unfortunately missed the Police Academy graduation. It was on my calendar, and as was about 50 billion other things that week, and I just completely forgot. So very upset that I missed that. But I did go to the uh, um, Audit and Finance Committee meeting, and uh, although I don't get to be a part of um, VP Shear's report, since it's community education, as of next Tuesday, I will be a student of Napa Valley College. My son and I are going to be taking a dance class together. Oh, fun. I um, attended the Police Academy graduation. As Michael said, it's a great, great experience. And uh, Legislative Affairs Committee, an Audit Committee, Flex Day. felt like I was here for a while there. It was like every single day I was coming to Napa Valley College. Flex Day was uh, great. As I said earlier, Ken surprised me with his um, sort of stand-up routine. I didn't realize he was... He was like that. And Amanda, of course, gave a great, really, a really, really good uh, speech, a really good talk. And um, I thought it was very, should have been very moving to the whole crowd. And and Ron spoke, and Rebecca, who else? Oh, Paul Wagner. I thought that was good, didn't you? Yes. Oh, I thought that was great. Um, I'd like to do his little, you know, two glasses of wine and anytime. So that's um, that's what I what I did since our last board meeting. And with that, chair, could I add something off the record? You can add it on the record, on the record. because I haven't adjourned yet. <laughs> I have uh, enlisted into the Marine Corps, and uh, over the summer I plan to go to boot camp and join the reserve, and the following summer to go into platoon leadership course to wow. become an officer. That's huge. That is huge. That's amazing. Congratulations. That is a big decision. So, uh, seeing no reason to go back into closed session. What about future agenda items. Oh, I'm so sorry. And isn't that supposed to be before board reports? I thought it was supposed to be between standing and board, right? Correct. Yeah. So, the Kathy. Future agenda items? Uh huh. We can certainly change it. So, what would you like? Oh. So if we could put the future agenda items between, right after standing committees. Yes. Amanda. 
<laughs> Almost yes. there. Where are you? Future Where agenda you? items. We have uh, campus housing right now, website compliance. Anything else? Well, I'll send it in writing. It's our policy, but I'll just say it. Um, I want to, for next time, since we're talking about saving money for students, um, to have the audio recording of our meetings put on the agenda because we're still paying 200 a month which is 2400 a year to audio record when we have video recordings now on our own website. So I'd like that took a board action to create it, so it's going to take a board action to end that. So I would like that to be on the next agenda. Okay. Can I, can I, can I, so I can let her go? Can you please put me on your mailing list? I didn't know about Flex Day or else I would have been there. Or somebody put me on. That's just all staff, right? I don't. I don't think I get anything that goes to all. I staff. didn't get that one either. But my email is not working. We will. We will direct staff to to figure out what that issue might be. And so now, if we're not seeing any reason to go back into closed session, and I don't see any objection to adjourn the meeting, meeting is adjourned.